Turn to your neighbour, say you are looking fabulous this morning as you take your seats. Thank you guys, you may be seated. Okay. Who's excited about church in general? Who thinks that we can do good things with church? I want to talk to you this morning about an unlimited church. And to make it sort of personal, I thought, why not talk about unlimited C3 Church Norwood? Because we can be as unlimited as any other church. We could possibly start a, a trend in removing the limits that we traditionally have. So what, what does un, unlimited mean? I mean, you hear about unlimited broadband. Which, who likes unlimited broadband? And so we, we know that, I, it depends where you came from. I mean, I remember my first internet experience was all in the timing. You had to pick up a telephone and dial a number and you heard strange noises on the other end and you had to count to two and once they'd had strange noises for two seconds, you flipped the switch, which then engaged the modem, which decoded those strange noises and turned the phone line off so that you could receive data. And you received data if you had a really good modem at what was called 1200 board, B-A-U-D, not B-O-R-D-E-D, although you were because it took such a long time. Um, and if, if somebody was mean enough to ring you while you were downloading your data, <laughs> it kicked you off the internet. And it was incredibly expensive. And so, unlimited when you've come from a, a position of extreme limitation, it means a, a huge amount of freedom in what we do. In fact, some of, some of the definitions of unlimited, are obviously without limits or restrictions, lacking or seeming to lack boundaries, vast, illimitable. Not sure that's a real word, but it was on Google, so. Having no restrictions or controls, an unlimited travel ticket. Who'd like one of those? Having or seeming to have no boundaries, infinite, without qualification or exception, absolute. But the interesting thing is, although we like the idea of unlimiting, unlimited things, we, we often define our lives by what limits us. I mean, even church, do you know that in this building we're, we're actually limited as to how much noise we can make? Because if we make too much, the neighbours complain. In fact, sometimes they complain even when we're not making too much noise. We're limited to specific times we can use this place because we only have this book, place booked at specific times. So we are limited. Uh, we are limited to a certain number of people in this auditorium. Mainly because once we squeeze too many people in, it start to complain about the, the smell. And so we, we look at how we do church according to the, the limitations that we see imposed upon us. And because of this, Guess what? We, we tend to invent limitations. Because we see there are some, we, we, then, we like to add our own in. It's like, it's easy to believe because of the physical limits that we have in this building that we are limited to the number and types of people that we can actually bring to Jesus. Because we sort of think, well, couldn't fit too many more in, so perhaps the church is full, so you know, perhaps I shouldn't invite more people. You sort of think, well, 
Our children's facilities are a bit cramped at the moment, so perhaps we can't invite children, families with children along. Or we, we look and think, well, okay, perhaps there's, there's a, a, an economic divide. That, uh, to come to Norwood, you, you, perhaps you have to be rich, so let's not invite people that we believe aren't in our social, socioeconomic level. And we, we invent these ideas based on the fact that because there are certain other restrictions, perhaps these other things are, are restrictions as well. And the puzzle is where the heck we get these from? Because they don't exist. They didn't exist for Jesus, and so they shouldn't exist for us. And as, as Nathan mentioned, we, we're coming up to Easter. Easter is a great time because... It makes people who aren't in church think about church. And more than that, they think about Jesus Christ. And we need to have an unlimited idea of how these people can come to get to know Jesus Christ. And so we need to be preaching a message which is not limiting people in how they hear the gospel message. Jesus did this really well in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. This is, this is quite, he says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, when I read those things, it's like, that seems the most unlikely thing. The, fa the Pharisees and Jesus were already at odds with how Jesus' message was coming across. And yet one of them invited him for dinner. And it says, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. I agree. <laughs> I want to stop right there and think, what, what is going on here? First, Jesus gets invited by a Pharisee to dinner. And then an immoral woman of the city hears about it and decides to crash the party with a jar of expensive perfume. You think, why would she do that? But, if you think about it, Pharisees were known as really holy people. An immoral person is known as an immoral person. And even to go to a Pharisee's home would be a very uncomfortable experience for someone who knows how the Pharisees would view her. So to actually go there in the first place would have been an extremely uncomfortable experience. The, the story labels his, her as immoral, so we can take that as it was fairly well known. If she turned up at the gate, somebody would have said, there's that immoral person. So it wasn't a hidden thing. And yet she came to this place, brought something of great value to her, went through extreme discomfort to visit a Pharisee. Why? Because she heard Jesus was there. The first thing we've got to remember is that sinners don't care if they have to come to a place where they're uncomfortable if they get to see Jesus. We spend a lot of effort trying to make the atmosphere in church comfortable, and I'm, I'm cool with that. I think it's, it's great that we do everything we can to make people feel at ease. We explain sometimes what we do, why we sing the way we do, why we raise our hands and, and what we do in worship to try and make it less strange. Well, I've been doing it for 20 years. I, th I still think it's strange. Um, but 
Sometimes we use that as a limitation. We, we look at people and we think, well, they wouldn't like to come to our church because our music's a bit loud. And uh, imagine how embarrassed they'd feel if Nathan gets up the front and says, come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord, close our eyes. They, they, they'd, they'd be mortified. Shouldn't do that on stage. And we, we place limitations on them. It's not a question of how we present ourselves. It's actually whether or not we present Jesus that actually makes a difference. People will come somewhere where they're uncomfortable if we can show that Jesus can impact their life. So let's read on. She knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet, putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. So Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. Who wants to know this man? But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both and cancelled their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, said Jesus. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon. Now it's interesting, let's stop here. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon. He didn't look at Simon and say to Simon, he looked at the woman and said to Simon. Who's Jesus speaking to? Simon. Who's Jesus looking at? The woman. He does the same with us. Whatever the problems we're confronting, whatever the accusers that we're facing, when we ask Jesus to deal with them, when we call on the name of Jesus, his focus is always on us. He, can, he will deal with our problems, but he's not looking at our problems. He leaves that to us. We're always looking at our problems when we should be looking at Jesus. But Jesus knows that he's looking at the people that he cares about. So even when Jesus is dealing with your accusers or your problems, his face is always towards you. So he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, amen, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. This set the men at the table whispering. They said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The question I want to ask you this morning is who belongs in our church? 
Who belongs? Is the church supposed to be the gathering of the good? Or is it the gathering of the guilty? Sometimes we'd like to think it's the gathering of the good. But in reality, to be the gathering of the good, we have to define good. And defining good is tricky because I've asked God about good. And God does not have a sliding scale of good to, or bad. There is no point at which you're good enough or that somebody else is not good enough. There is no sliding scale in the kingdom of God. Once we start defining good, we have become self-righteous, not God-righteous. See, the problem with this is that while God wears rose-colored glasses when he looks at us, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And what I mean by that is that when God looks at us, he sees sinners and he can't... Holiness, God is holiness incarnate and he cannot have anything to do with sin. But when he looks at us, because Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, he gets these road-colored glasses and he looks at us and even though we're sinners, he can't see it. And so he looks at us with rose-colored glasses, but we forget they're also polarizing glasses. Who's ever had polarized sunglasses? Who's ever, do you ever go to school and do that science experiment where you get two lenses and you shine a light through one and, and it cuts the light by half and you put the second lens in and it doesn't do anything until you rotate at 90 degrees and it blocks the light off completely because the light wavelength is cut off. Now, God just doesn't wear glasses that are polarized one way, they're polarized both ways. And when we talk about God to good, about goodness, and whether we're good enough or whether they're good enough, he looks, he can't see. He can't see goodness because he's got polarizing glasses as well as rose-colored glasses on. And so when we, we, we start talking to God about these good people or these bad people, he sits, stands there scratching his head and says, I can't see what you're talking about. I cannot see this idea of goodness that you have invented. So here's a confronting statement. If we, in church, are not attracting the same type of people that Jesus attracted, then perhaps we're not preaching the same message that Jesus preached. If we're not attracting the same type of people Jesus attracted, then perhaps we're not preaching the same message that Jesus preached. You might think that's confronting. I think that's confronting. I'm preaching. And so let's not get caught up with the idea that this statement is about having beggars, prostitutes and the homeless in our church. Because Jesus' message was not actually just limited to that. His message was far much broader. We have to look at who did Jesus keep close to him and who did he keep at a distance? The people that Jesus kept at a distance were the righteous or the self righteous the people that he kept close to him were the unrighteous so we need to look and say well what is the church is the church a country club for the morally elite you can answer that if you like no is the correct answer the church is a hospital of hope for humanity and if it's a hospital guess what there's going to be sick people in it. It's all of us. 
So how does that how does that look as a church? What does a church that doesn't put limits on people actually look like? First thing is it's full of real people. You shouldn't have to wear a mask to come to church. You shouldn't have to pretend when you come to church. You shouldn't have to put on your holy face. When people ask you, how's your week been? Fantastic, brother. Amazing. My prayer life just went to another level. You know, I've been sort of got, getting revelation every day about the goodness of God. How's your job? No, I don't want to talk about my job, but my relationship with you. People pretend all sorts of rubbish. Now, if that's happening to you, that, don't be insulted. But a lot of people put on a holy face on Sunday. Yep, my life's perfect. Don't worry about that. You go home and we collapse. Our week's terrible. We come to church. We're not getting anything out of church. Why? Because we're, we're trying to be dishonest to God as well as, I mean, he, he knows. The rest of us don't. We're clueless. Unless people tell us the truth, we can't help people. So a church has to be full of real people. Truth and transparency lead to freedom. We need to be open enough to be honest with each other and forgiving enough so that it doesn't change our relationships. Church needs to be full of real people. An unlimited church is raw. What do I mean by raw? I mean that we've got to accept the fact that salvation is a moment. Transformation is a journey. Transformation starts when you're saved. Did everybody here get saved at the same time? Somewhere in 1989, who got saved about then? Who wasn't alive around then? <laughs> the time and the date of our salvation is all different. And therefore, isn't it reasonable to expect that the stage of the journey we're on is going to be different for every single person? We're all different. And guess what? If it's all different, then we're all at different stages of our relationship with Christ. We all have different revelation. We all have different understanding. You know, we've got to be careful that we, we don't sit there and whisper and say, so somebody was out the front of the church smoking the other day. You know that smoking is a sin. Your, t your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you're damaging that body by smoking. They are a terrible person. And we come to this, we have no idea what that person's history. If I told you that person smoking out the front of the building is a recovering drug addict who was, had been on crack for 20 years and had only just got off it and smoking was part of the, the recovery, you'd say, oh, well, that's obviously a lot better than, than being a drug addict. Let's not go into definitions here. Um, but they're on a journey. We don't know where they are on that journey. We actually have to look at people and say, whatever their behavior is, we know they're on a journey. Let's not judge the instant behavior because we see it. You see, Jesus saves. But after that, he lets us do the work. John chapter 11, verse 41. It's the story of Lazarus. And it says, so they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear, it, hear me, but I say it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. 
And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. See, Jesus saved Lazarus, but he commanded the disciples to roll away the stone and unwrap the grave clothes. We are also called to roll away stones and unwrap people's grave clothes. Trouble is, we're too busy throwing stones half the time to actually roll any away. We are not called to be the stone throwers. We're actually called to remove people's grave clothes and remove any impediment to them having a relationship with Jesus Christ once Jesus has saved them. We can't do that bit. Jesus saves people. We're called to help in the transformation on people's journeys. The reason that we have to be an unlimited church is that we didn't earn this. Everything we have was a gift from Jesus. It's not a question of people having a right to be in our church. We don't have a right to be in our church. Our church is a gift from God. Do I love Jesus less because I'm not a prostitute? No. The reason the Pharisee didn't love Jesus as much was because he thought that he was good. He thought he didn't need grace. See, the woman knew knew her need, but the Pharisee didn't see his because he was self-righteous. See, grace becomes amazing when we understand how much we need it. Who who knows that that, the the way we we picture sin uh, is like shooting an arrow at a target. And when you miss, that's sin. Sin is merely just falling short of the target. The target is perfection in Jesus Christ. No matter what we do, we fall short. But the trouble is, because we, we, we like, who likes that sort of picture? You sit there and you miss and you fall short. But you see, there are some of us here who think, yeah, everybody falls short of the perfection of Jesus. But I'd like to think that I fell slightly closer to the target <laughs> than a lot of other people did. And therein lies the trap, because that's why we think we're good. But the thing is, we missed the target. That's all Jesus sees. All of us missed the target. He doesn't say, oh, you were a foot closer than they were. (laughs) We missed. None of us are good. We missed. Grace is amazing because we all missed the target. And we all need grace. It is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace is not a stain remover that we can spray on things and remove our sins. Grace is what God shows us when we repent of our sin, of any sin. God isn't happy about the fact that we sin. God doesn't admire us for any of our sin, whether it be large or small. So he doesn't measure sin. We've got to understand that through grace, God gave us a free pass to be in his church. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's not because we're good. It's like, it's like if I went and said, Nathan, and I think just Nathan, he's a free pass. 
you can be in my church. Because he's got a free pass. The rest of you, there's the door. Only us guys with free passes can get in. But the thing is that perhaps, perhaps I'd be, because Jordan plays and sings and Rhiannon does a good job on stuff. And uh, <laughs> I, I, like, I like the look of you. Um, no, none for you. Yeah, the little guy gets one, but forget it. God does not do that. God does not go out giving selective free passes. Who thinks he gives a free pass to everyone? You're wrong. He does not give everyone a free pass. He gives everyone hundreds of them. Yeah. Pass them around. A free pass isn't for you. A free pass is for you to use and to give out to other people. Don't hoard them all, hand them out. This is our job. This is, this is unlimited church. Because you don't deserve to be in church. You don't earn church. It's a free pass. Jesus died on the cross to give you a free pass, not just to keep, but to give to everybody else. Nobody has earned the right to be in church. Nobody has earned the right to be in the kingdom of God. It's a free pass. And do you know what the good thing about a free pass is? It's free. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not an exclusive. I mean, you can get a free pass to the Clipsal, but only you can use that free pass. They're non-transferable. You've got to wear it around your neck. They check it to make sure it's a real free pass. These are real. I printed them myself. <laughs> but we are called, A, to recognize that we didn't earn our relationship with Jesus. He gave us a free pass. And when he gave me a free pass, he gave me a hundred others to give out to other people. To say, you have a free pass. You can be in the kingdom of God. We are an unlimited church because the number of free passes is unlimited. The type of people you give them to, the, the, the age of people you give them to, where they live, what they do. You can give anybody a free pass. There isn't something saying that only people five foot ten and above get a free pass. There is, no, there is no limitation that says only blonde people get a free pass. There is no limitation that says people who have size three feet and below get a free pass. Thank goodness say most of us. Unlimited thinking in our church actually needs us to believe that because we didn't earn it, because we don't deserve it, then we can offer it free to anybody else because Jesus offered it to us now you know what the great thing about a free pass is a free pass gets you to places that you wouldn't normally get to go and the great thing is that we often get this in reverse we think we need to get to know God we need to be saved and when we're saved God will give us a free pass no I'm sorry God has given everyone a free pass already what using your free pass enables you to do is come to a place where you can get to meet Jesus Christ. You see, the, the, the immoral woman got a free pass into Jesus and he forgave her sins. She didn't wait outside saying, Jesus, can you forgive my sins so I can come in and anoint your feet? No, she just came in. She, had, she knew she had a free pass. She knew what was there. And Lazarus, he had a free pass. But Jesus saved him. So I want to encourage you. 
If you're here this morning, you've got a free pass. What your free pass enables you to do is meet Jesus. And you can experience what we call salvation. And as I said earlier, salvation is a moment. And salvation is the moment where you actually start on a journey where your free pass starts to reap dividends. Where you can come and you can be real. You can unpackage your life to God and to his people. You can be healed. You can be transformed. You can be renewed. All because you've got a free pass. And so I want, want to op, offer an opportunity this morning. Everybody here with a free pass. If you've got your free pass, but you haven't taken that step to use it, to say, okay, I'm in church. I'm in God's presence. But I want more. I want to know Jesus. Then I want, I want to offer you that opportunity to actually take that extra step and say, I'm going to use this free pass to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Can I get you just to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment? If you're here this morning, and hey, you're happy you've got a free pass. It's great to be in church. It's great to hear the word of God. It's great to sing praises to God. But you want something more. You want that relationship with God that you hear people talk about. To start that journey of transformation requires that moment of salvation. And in our church, we do that by helping you pray a simple prayer to invite Jesus into your life and to pledge to a lifetime of journeying with him. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, or you might be here and you've done it before, but you realize that that journey has halted, then I want to invite you to experience or to re-experience that connection with Jesus that we call salvation. And I'd love to pray a prayer with you. If that's you this morning, can you please raise your hand right now so that I can see it? I'd love to pray that prayer with you, to invite you to become a son and daughter of the Most High God. Okay, can I get you all to stand, please? I don't know what your limitations are in terms of how you see your relationship with Jesus, how you see your ability to reach out to people with the gospel message. I know that we all have limitations. We all have often things that we don't even conceive of that are actually holding us back from doing things. I mean, simple things. I suffer from it myself. I mean, my father is a, a Christian. He's saved, but he no longer goes to church. And I can see when I meet with him the benefits that he would get of being in a fellowship of people like-minded to help him build on what he knows and, and what he has. You see, the biggest problem I have, he's 82. 
And one of the, the hidden things I know in, in, in my struggle with him to actually get him into church is that I don't want to invite him to this one because I'm afraid it'll be too noisy for him. Now the thing is, and you, you might think, well that sounds reasonable. Although he has got hearing aids, so he could turn them down. But it's that sort of thinking that creeps into our minds that stops us doing things. That's not my problem. My problem is to show him Jesus, that Jesus wants to have a continuing relationship. Because although he's saved, who knows that it, Christianity is not an individual pursuit. The, the, there are no single non-church Christians. Believers, yes. But I believe that part of salvation is a connection with God and a connection with God's people. And if we lose that, then I think we're only half a Christian. And so I have to fight. And I, I do invite him regularly. And sometimes he comes and complains about the noise. <laughs> but I have learned not to let that stop me. Because I know that that's, that's a limitation that didn't exist for Jesus. He, he doesn't care about that. It exists for me. Now you may have more trivial or less trivial limitations. But I want us to focus right now and make a promise to God and a promise to ourselves that we'll actually seek out those limitations and destroy them. Because we're affecting people's lives here. We're putting limitations on people's ability to know God. Just because of fear inside of us, a way of thinking in our head, um, discourage, whatever it is. So I want us to pray. I want us to believe right now that God is going to reveal these limitations in our heart. And once he's done that, we can work to actually remove them. So Lord, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that you reveal this morning the limitations which stop them reaching out with your gospel message to the people that they work with, the people that they do family with, that all the people that we come across in our worlds, that we hold back on sharing our faith in Jesus Christ with, that you pinpoint those limitations, bring them to the surface, enable us to look at them, assess them, and dismiss them. In the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.